0: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. If I were to describe the city of Nashville in one word, it would be hot. The weather, the food, occasionally the people— It's a town whose personal brand is being so consistently warm that it is not comfortable. Even in mid-June, people skitter from building to building to get out of the line of fire of the blazing sun, even if what they're doing once they get inside is eat so much hot chicken that they sweat through whatever they're wearing anyway. The air around you feels like it's hugging you wherever you go especially on this particular week when 15 bartenders from around the country gathered in the blistering heat to see which one of them will walk away with a shot at being crowned the best in the world. I'm Greg Benson, and this is a special episode of Back Bar. Stay tuned. This episode of Back Bar is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Stay informed, inspired, and connected by going to diageobaracademy.com today. The city of Nashville was chartered officially in 1806 on the banks of the Cumberland River, where it served as a trading post and manufacturing depot for central Tennessee. Acknowledging that the word early here is both a highly subjective and deeply loaded term, it feels a lot like other early American cities, a place where people were naturally drawn to gather, where, thanks to confluences of geography and anthropology and time, multiple major league sports franchises and a hotel with a rooftop pool feel somewhat inevitable. So it makes sense that in this place that is too hot and too humid— The U.S. Bartenders Guild's best and brightest would gather for the U.S. Finals of World Class, presented by Diageo.
1: So the challenges over the last two days have been wild.
0: Jessie Pollock runs the bar programs for Soignet Hospitality in Minnesota, where she's the bar manager for Spoon and Stable. And this is her first year competing at World Class. It
1: was 13 cocktails to submit total for two days, and we had uh, less than a month to create and submit them. So it is really, I mean, I really feel like it's what separates the wheat from the chaff when you get to this point, uh, the regional. So what we I just participated in the regional challenges in Chicago about a month ago, and now I'm here, and it's really like a big jump between the two. And so for these challenges, there were four different challenges, obviously they focus on um, highlighting Diageo Spirits course, but also on you know, kind of tying in your home community. I just did a challenge a few minutes ago <laughs> that uh, wanted to use an ingredient that's important to your like local community and use it in a couple of different ways and incorporate it in cocktails creatively. There's speed round, which is like, definitely my favorite part. Um, that was very fun. Eight cocktails in under ten minutes while you're presenting them, and they need to be beautiful and delicious and perfect. And uh, there's another challenge called Taste the City, which involves uh, pairing food with or pairing a cocktail with famous Nashville foods. And then another challenge that was an homage to Don Julio, which was another one of my favorites because um, we got to get a little spooky
0: and weird, which is kind of my favorite How would you get spooky and weird?
1: So that challenge involved making two different cocktails, but one of them was supposed to be an homage to Don Julio, the man himself who created Don Julio tequilas. Uh, so that's the great thing. These things are like super open-ended. Everybody can kind of interpret them in different ways. For me, I looked at it and was like, okay, Don Julio, he was great. Also, he's dead. So for my uh, cocktail presentation, we actually did a little seance to invoke the spirit of Don Julio.
0: (laughs) You were the person with the Ouija board. I've been hearing about you for
1: the last couple of days. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Cool. Cool. How did it go? It was great. It was super fun. And that's the thing is like, I don't know. I don't want to go into a cocktail competition and have to like be someone else that kind of takes all the fun out of it. It's also like it would just be exhausting. It's two days of competition. So I wanted to come in and be like the weird goth girl that I am and like make a Ouija board and do a little seance and have fun with it. And it was, it was super fun. I think the judges liked it. They were excited.
0: When world-class came to her hometown of Minneapolis, Jessie decided to bar back for the competition and realized in her own words that, Hey, that looks like fun. At the same time, Patrick Abelos was returning that year as a competitor. Continuing a journey of development that he began shortly after picking up stakes and landing in an unfamiliar city.
2: Yeah, so it's kind of a funny story. I was uh, moved to the Houston to open the West in the Woodlands, and one of the uh, Diageo local reps came out, and she has pushed me real hard. Uh, her name was Myra to enter the competition. That's my first uh, competition that I've ever entered. Didn't realize the scale of the competition when I was starting to get into it, and <laughs> had been bartending prior to that for about four or five years, and then this was kind of a complete change of experience and the person I was then is not the same person I am now. So World Class was a big contributor of my development as a bartender and my networking within the environment and the space. Um, looking back at my pictures and everything, even just evaluating my garnish where I was then to what I do now is kind of a fun little approach and the program has always been, it's, it's kind of changed over years because, you know, things happen year over year and they start adding more and they take some away. And I made it to nationals. It took me two and a half, three years. The third year is when I actually made it to as a national finalist. But during that time, each year I got better and better. And better. Um, it is a challenging competition, for sure. It does take a lot of time and commitment, but it is totally worth the investment that you put in it because I learned something about myself every single year I went through it, which is really cool. Just my bartender skills, my my networking skills, and even just talking to the collective of different bartenders from across the country or your region, just figuring out what people are drinking and eating. It's pretty cool. Just kind of creating this little, like brain trust, and you all become friends, and you just start building this network and bouncing ideas off each other. Each year.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing that that's really struck me looking at you know not only how the competition functions uh you know on on, on this year but just kind of in general the spirit of it seems to be a lot of you know finding your roots finding the roots of the city that you're in um really kind of finding the roots of the spirit that you're working with and really kind of um you know working on uh, um focusing on the community and the kind of the the collective that brought these things together and these ingredients together and these people together to make this competition exist in the space where it does
2: for sure, world class is definitely about like developing that community. It's, it's about the networking, it's about the camaraderie that develops within the, the group. Like, I still talk to the people I competed with a couple years ago and go visit it, and we still talk about the experience we had, we learned about. And like, it is very rooted in like, I always like this competition because there's always a challenge that's rooted in where you come from. That gives you a lot more to kind of get inspired and like really get into it. It's really cool.
0: Patrick isn't competing this year. He's here to help the latest batch of contestants find their footing in a three-day bonanza that can often be disorienting and more than a little stressful. Which makes sense, given that we as a profession tend to be creative, perfectionistic, and more than a little obsessive about getting things exactly where they need to be. But if that sense of anxiety comes from within, there's a community that can help from without.
1: After each round that I've finished, when I've had some free time, I've been watching other people. And it's so fun. And, like, we've spent so much time together over the last few days that, like, it doesn't matter if we're competing against each other. You still, like, man, if something goes wrong, like, you feel it in your gut. And it's, like, like you you feel the pain that they're feeling um, in the same way that if they're successful, like, you feel successful. I definitely, like, yeah, we're all out here just trying to do our thing, you know, and support each other.
0: That's amazing. I mean, what, if you, what, would, what would you do if you won later?
1: That's a really great question. <laughs> uh, I've been doing the thing where I've going, been going back and forth on, uh, you know, you have no possible chance of winning and then like, oh yeah, well, okay, but what would you do? And I haven't exactly gotten that far. I don't know, probably not much different than I do what I do now, which is um, I lead a really fantastic team of diverse and wonderful bartenders And I make great cocktails at a bar that I love for a lot of really wonderful people, and I can't really imagine changing my life too much from that at the moment because that's what it's about.
0: Would you want to come back next year and compete again?
1: Unfortunately, uh, for my partner, yes, yes, I would. (laughs) It's been a lot of work, but uh, I definitely want to come back next year.
0: Nice. I mean, and it sounds like the work was fun too. It sounds like it was absolutely. Yeah,
1: it was fun. I've learned so much already. I can already just, you know, as soon as I finished a challenge, I thought like, you know, I made myself little lists of like, what were the mistakes I made so that like I can look at that and come back next year and not make those same mistakes.
0: The speed round, for some reason, happens outdoors on the final day of the competition, which just happens to be the hottest day of the week. The competitors, at least, get to be in an air-conditioning-adjacent bar under an awning, which, generally speaking, is good news for everybody's garnishes. For this competition, the contestants have ten minutes to make eight different cocktails, which means it's not just creativity they're being graded on, but technique as well. You said you also like the speed round, which just to me as a casual observer seems like the most nerve. It seems like the most nerve wracking one for me personally, as as someone with a, a, a deep relationship with my own anxiety. <laughs> but also, it seems like the just watching it. It seems like the one where people are the most on edge, but you liked it, right?
1: I loved it. I really, really loved it. Um, I have participated in Speed Rack several times, which has definitely prepared me for this. It's a good advantage that I think I've had where I've like trained for Speed Rack three years in a row. And so um, I know how to train for this kind of thing. But the reason I loved it is because it's it's a game. So for example, setting up and like training for this, I mapped out every single Thing I was ever going to touch, right? So I knew exactly in what order I could right now spew it out for you. Exactly what order I was going to touch every single one of my bottles in, and how I was going to use them. And so I could kind of do this around in my sleep now, because they're not really like throwing curveballs at you. You know what you're going to make ahead of time. So I really wanted to set myself up so that if I was like so nervous, I was brain dead. I was just on autopilot. My body knew exactly what to do with like touching all those bottles in a certain order and you know shaking stirring all that in like a very particular structured way
0: that's fantastic so what'd you make
1: uh it was really fun so like i said it was eight cocktails uh i'm again lucky that so my bar program that i run at spoon and stable in minneapolis is really focuses on like sort of whimsical creative twists on classics which is nothing new many bars do that we do it as well we do it really well um but this menu was meant to be the same thing. You could either do classic cocktails or um, riffs on classics. So I did riffs on classics and we had some really fun ones. I had a bell pepper and tequila jungle bird, I had a white Russian based on the flavors of Turkish coffee. Um, I wanted to get silly and kind of like make fun of the judges as well. So I did a Johnny Walker blue label coconut daiquiri. Uh, yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> it was tasty cocktails.
0: So talk to me a little bit about your, your your process, not only how you prepared for this competition, but just kind of like how your brain works when you have a germ of an idea for a drink and you're kind of trying to nurture it to the final product.
1: That is definitely hard to talk about because I would have to like reflect enough to like really <laughs> be able to talk about my own process in an educated way. Um, I personally, I really like just thinking about flavor combinations. That's really where I tend to start. Um, the my copy of the flavor bible is like the most beat up book that I own for sure um because that's kind of how I get started on things and then like I said for like especially something like a speed round but really all of them I just make a game out of it of like you know how can you just be a little bit more efficient how can you shave off a little time or you know combine two steps into one um it's the same thing I do when I work the service well and the same thing all bartenders do when they're working the service well of like like not touching the same thing twice, you know? Um, where are those little places where you can just shave off time and get better?
0: So are there any um, any online resources that you used at any point to kind of like help you prepare for this or, or just in, in general that you find useful if you're trying to, you know, think about the way that, you're, that your cocktail making process works?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are obviously tons of resources. Like I said, I use the Flavor Bible a lot, but for online resources, um, World Class really set us up for success. They really wanted everyone to be successful. And so a big part of that was Diageo Bar Academy. Diageo Bar Academy is just a curriculum, a free curriculum that's available to anyone of resources and of educational resources. And it kind of differs from anything else I've seen because it goes into the stuff that we as bartenders, like we need to know, but we also don't like to talk about. Like creating a menu, like thinking about costing, like thinking about, how you should cost your no ABV cocktails versus your your classic cocktails of like, how do you price things on a menu? And then of course there's all the like, uh, you know, spirits and brand information, but it's a lot deeper than that. Um, I have had the tab <laughs> like multiple tabs for GeoGeo Bar Academy open on my computer now for the last six months straight. <laughs> well, they'll probably stay for a while.
0: <laughs> I see you're also part of the eight dozen tabs open at a time club.
1: Oh, I um, can't actually tell you on your iPhone what like Google Chrome will do if you have like more than 99 tabs open. Not it many people Oh yeah, not everybody yeah. knows but I've been to that side. <laughs> oh yeah. And there's no good yeah, that to
0: Among friends here. <laughs> So and and the the fun thing about that is that those are a lot of skills that I've kind of seen reflected in as you were saying earlier the kind of holistic you know they don't just want to see okay you know how's your shake they want to see how you think about the whole process of hospitality so a lot of the competitions seem like they're evaluating you not just kind of on your technique and did these flavors taste good together but. How did this menu come together? You know, what is your um, what is your approach? How do you um, how do you envision, you know, the 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 city that you're in or kind of designing drinks that are um, appropriate or or you know reflect the environment that you're in. So it sounds like a lot of those, you know, the, the fun thing about this competition is that it's not necessarily testing, you know, how good are you at making drinks, but how good are you at being a hospitality professional. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's a little bit of everything. And, you know, there are many like really, really talented bartenders who make phenomenal drinks and make phenomenal menus that like can crash and burn in the speed round and vice versa. People who are like great service wall bartenders that like maybe haven't spent the time like doing the learning to get to a point where they can really talk about spirits in an educated way. And so this is really here to like make sure you can kind of check all the boxes.
0: The competition, and the food, all get hotter after this. I say this a lot. And if you listen to me on the radio a lot, you're probably sick of hearing it, but here it is one more time anyway. If you're in this business, you should never stop learning. Because really, why would you? There's so much to learn. And trust me, anybody who says they know everything about anything is trying to sell you something, and that something probably sucks. My favorite bartenders will always be the curious ones, the ones who constantly want to try new things and new techniques, who are never content to just rest on the laurels of what they know. They're always building, always hustling, they always have something new to tell me whenever I post up at their bar. And those are the bars that everybody wants to drink at. If you want to be one of those bartenders, and I mean, come on, why wouldn't you? Diageo Bar Academy has you covered. It doesn't matter if you're a novice or a veteran, if you just got off your first bar backing gig, or you've been running bars for 20 years, they have something for you. With masterclasses, quizzes, and e-learning courses, I guarantee you there is something on there you didn't know already. Don't believe me? Check it out. The whole thing's free. That's right. Totally, 100% free. So stay informed, connected, and inspired to grow your career or business by joining Diageo Bar Academy today. Don't wait. Visit DiageoBarAcademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O BarAcademy.com and check it out. Cheers. It started as a lot of these mythical origin stories do, with a cheating boyfriend. In the 1940s, James Thornton Prince's girlfriend was tired of him stepping out on her and decided that she was going to get revenge. She cooked him a fried chicken breakfast one morning after he had been out late, again, that she thought would be so hot it would teach the son of a bitch a lesson. But of course, it backfired, and to this day, Prince's is tagged as the originator of the style we now know as Nashville Hot Chicken. The secret sauce, the thing that makes Nashville hot chicken really punishingly hot, is the fry oil. Oil is very, very hard to get off of your tongue, which is why the irritants in hot sauce don't just hit you once and disappear. They linger. And so the more spicy the oil, the longer and more exquisite the pain from your meal is going to be. So once your cayenne pepper is all good and infused into that burning hot fry oil, you ladle it over your chicken again and again. And again, until all of that heat seeps into every little last bit of your bird, and you have a meal fit for a philandering louse. Or masochists who don't know what's good for them. Now this is how Nashville, Tennessee tastes. Even the food here makes you sweat.
1: So we had less than a month to prepare, and essentially we were given a list of foods that are kind of famous out of Nashville. So... Hot chicken, uh, country ham, banana pudding, goo-goo clusters, and what I chose was uh, biscuits and jam.
0: For the Taste the City challenge, competitors designed a drink to pair with one of Nashville's most famous dishes. And for me at least, after a few straight days of eating exclusively hot chicken, biscuits and jam were a welcome change of pace.
1: And I was able to kind of make a personal connection there actually because my grandmother lived in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is about half an hour away from where we are in Nashville right now. Uh, And so, you know, I had some good connections with the types of things that I always found in her kitchen and really played with with those with thinking about like what was in her kitchen? What was she about? And how do those things pair with biscuits and jam Um, as far as like Researching, I don't know. There's a lot to research about the city and about the culinary tradition. Um, a lot of people went the music route. I'm not like especially well versed in music at all, so I didn't really go that route at all. I just kind of went with you know what, what feels like home to me, and like things that are in my grandmother's kitchen are what feels like home.
0: So, what did you wind up doing for your for your um, for your cocktail?
1: Yeah. It was really fun. I made a fun, delicious cocktail. <laughs> so uh, like I said, I paired it with biscuits and jam. Uh, one thing that was really fun was doing research on how to pair cocktails and food together, which is something that like I've done plenty of times, but I've done it in a much more kind of like just intuitive way. And so it was it was fun to get, like, get geeky about aroma compounds and like contrasting versus complementary flavors and how do you like really make a good pairing. Uh, And another option with the competition is you can have side serves as well. So I served some biscuits from a local biscuit shop here in Nashville, along with some homemade, kind of like savory, um, spicy peach jam. And then for my cocktail, I made a Boulevardier variation that was Bullet Frontier bourbon whiskey, uh, a mix of Amari, I used Chinar and Bronca Menta. So I had like a kind of like spearmint and menthol vibe to it. a a dry vermouth, and then a peach sweet tea cordial. So it was like a peach sweet tea boulevardier. It was, you know, sweet tea is like something I always associate with the South, uh, that kind of peach on peach flavor, and then the spearmint in there as well to like cool it all down. And it was, you know, slightly bitter, slightly sweet, but like a good sipper on a hot day.
0: Between watching a person honor their hometown, their host city, make drinks as quickly as possible, and honor a tequila maestro, Perhaps by trying to communicate with him despite the obvious handicap of his being dead, you get a true sense of who these people are when they stand up to the heat of competition. But between the competitors, there's also, and you're going to have to forgive me for this, a real warmth too. Oh
2: yeah, I know what they, exactly what they're going through, and like even with speed around just being at the edge of the chair as the, the timer like counts down, and like, oh my god, he hasn't iced his glass yet, and like, oh my god, like... Carnage isn't on that cocktail, and it's just, like, stuff like that. Like, you know, like, normal people don't worry about that, but, like, having gone through that competition, it's, like, you feel for them, and, like, you know, you understand where, where they're going from and what they're trying to accomplish. This is definitely not an easy competition, but it's probably one of the best competitions out there. What
0: would you say to someone who... Looks who you saw at like dinner on the first night. Who you know it's their first year and they're they're super crazy nervous. What would you say to them at this point?
2: Uh, basically, I just say like, "Hey, how are you? How are you feeling? Uh, did everything make it?" That's the first question normally like, I'll ask. Like, did everything make it? Like, do you need help with anything doing here in the store? Like, help them kind of like decompress and then just kind of chat through. Like, oh, okay, well, tell me what you're doing. Like, tell me about this cocktail or what are you doing for this round? And then. Talking through it kind of helps alleviate that nervousness, but it's always just gonna be like you're always on the edge until you go up on stage. Um, and you definitely can tell when you're in the prep room who has done it before and whose first time it is, because you can see the ones that have done it before are kind of a little more laid back, like they have everything set up, and they're just kind of like jouncing around, loosening up, and chatting with other other newbies. Yeah, it's it's, it's fun. It's a fun community, for sure. And being on the side of it this year has been very cool. Being able to just sit here and talk because I know a lot of them from past years and just engaging with them and seeing how they've grown as well it has been cool.
0: That's perhaps the most interesting thing about this competition as an outsider is how little it feels like a competition. The camaraderie, the community, the jokes. It's not the work of rivals, but of a team one that's here to help all of its members reach as high as they can.
1: You'll notice that as you get from world-class top 100 to top 50 to top 15, the people just get like nerdier and nerdier, really. (laughs) We are the dweebs of the group. Uh, So I really like that part of just kind of diving deep into cocktails or whatever angle you're going to take personally. I don't really love like talking about myself a lot when I do these types of things Um, I really like like choosing something and then getting really nerdy about that and so my grandmother that was kind of an exception but otherwise you know the Don Julio challenge like like okay let's research Don Julio and everything you can possibly find out about him and then like also I got to research like enlightenment era seances and how that's done and what are like the various herbs and botanicals that are used in like that kind of like seance rituals and just kind of go down that rabbit hole
0: as well. It's interesting because it seems like as, as you're saying that was a way to sort of take yourself out of it, but I can't really think of anything more personalized than designing a seance themed cocktail to a beloved and deceased tequila maker. That's fair. (laughs) That's
1: fair. I just don't want to have to use the word I a lot, you know, let's focus on him.
0: <laughs> well, that's kind of interesting too, is it, it, it is, um, it, it really puts you in touch with the kind of communal aspect of hospitality, right? You know, I mean, one, one human being does not a history make, certainly not a history of a city, whether we're talking about Minneapolis or here, you know, it's very much a, a, a group effort and you can see that reflected in a lot of the preparation that people do, but also kind of the drinks that, and the. Presence that people are bringing to this competition.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, it's just we were all given, you know, the competitors were all given the same prompts, but we all went in wildly different directions with it. I don't think anybody did anything close to the same thing. And that is that kind of like group aspect of we are all coming from different places, from different backgrounds. Um, yeah, so we're all going to take it and run with it in
0: our own way. And one thing's for certain, Jesse will definitely be back next year. What about this did you find the most exciting and what did you kind of learn that you weren't expecting to along the way?
1: Yeah, so the biggest lesson for me that I will absolutely take away from this was just to ask for help when you want help. Um, I, again, like, you know, I may not be from the Midwest, but I've, like, adopted it. And so, like, ooh, I just – I don't want to trouble anyone, you know. (laughs) Um, But I really – for this, I was like, okay, I need to ask for help. I need to go to people who are experts on these things. So, for example, I reached out to past competitors, past winners, past judges. Um, I reached out to a historian to find out information about, you know, the Tankeray distillery during World War II. Um, And everyone was just so – eager to help and like excited that I was doing that I was excited you know so that's like the big takeaway I also for myself personally really learned um to play to my strengths and that again like I am a nerd I am you know I like witchy vibes and so just like do that you know the judges are here for it and they want to see who we are so you know don't don't hide it
0: and then almost kind of gets back to the sort of collaborative thing that we're doing, right? I mean like that that and that's kind of the whole I don't know, I was sort of reflecting on this when I was out at uh, having a drink last night is that, you know, the the vibe of a place, we talk about, you know, we talk in such almost religious terms about like, oh, that place had like a good vibe, you know. But so much of that has to do with the air that the people that are drinking your drinks bring into. And, you know, you can you can encourage different sides of people to come out. You know, I love a rowdy sports bar just as much as i love like you know a quiet bar that serves awesome drinks for 17 bucks a pop like it will very happily exist in both places but it's kind of like what do you invite from the other people kind of like asking you know for help it's like hey what do you what do you invite from someone you're like can you give me some education on what was it 19th century seance practices yeah it is kind of a collaborative effort between you and the place that you're at and the people that you're serving.
1: Yeah, well, and in many ways, too, it doesn't feel like we're competing against each other. Um, I can, you know, yesterday I came out of a round feeling like I did really good on that, but I also have no idea how anybody else did. I didn't get to watch anyone else, and I can only kind of critique myself and know what I did well and what mistakes I made. And at the end of the day, somebody's gonna win, but like we're all just competing against ourselves.
0: One of the most technically excellent speed rounds I think I've ever seen. The USBG presents world class, sponsored by Diageo. US Barksley for twenty twenty two is Jesse Paulett. This episode of Backbar was written, researched, and directed by me, Greg Benson, with engineering support from Matt Patterson. Our artwork is by Alicia Chan, and our music is by Ryan Laney. Thank you so much for listening to HRN, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Follow me on Instagram at hundred proof, that's hundred with numbers, not letters. And you can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. HRN is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Do you want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, like, say, this one right here. Tell your friends, and please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top of our homepage. And of course, be sure to tune in next time for more of history's favorite drinks and how what we drink shapes history. Cheers.